Hey guys, welcome to Home Church Scotland. I'm Pastor Dave and welcome to our weekly podcast. Guys, if you're encouraged by what you hear today, why not check out our social medias? Just search for Home Church Scotland. Or why not subscribe to our YouTube channel where all of our services are live and in full for you to enjoy at your listening pleasure. Good morning, Home Church. My name is Pastor Jeff, and I'm the pastor. God has given me the privilege of being the pastor of Home Church in Oklahoma. And I just want to give you, some of you that may not know who I am, a little bit of background and how this relationship began. Um, Actually, towards the beginning of last year, I felt like God just gave me this word of, of looking up different home churches and I was scrolling through, actually, Instagram. And yes, I'm on social media. Um, I think social media is kind of cool. I actually kind of hate it at times, but um, it can be used for God's glory as well. Amen? And in this case, it has been, because when I was scrolling through Instagram, I was looking for home church. I just typed it in the search, and the first one that came up was home church Scotland. And so I decided, you know, I, it, being a pastor can be a lonely thing, and not to, not to you know, the woe is me kind of attitude, but... It can be a lonely thing, and in some cases, it's hard to actually find people that understand kind of what you're going through because they don't understand the weight that's on you as being a lead pastor of a church. And so I just felt led to strike up a relationship with Pastor Dave. I messaged him. I actually messaged him on Instagram, and I think, Sarah, you're the one that was managing it at the time, and we're able to, to connect. And as I connected with Pastor Dave, when we actually did a WhatsApp, I think it was, um, we found out that we had a lot in common from our background to how we were raised, our, our, our being bullied in school, and, and how God has called us, and all of a sudden here we are, not even knowing we were going to be pastors of a church, all of a sudden now we are lead pastors of two different home churches. And we just felt like this was a relationship that God wanted us to have. And so I, I just thank you for your friendship, man. And I, I thank you for the times that you have a, a lot sowed into my life and it helped me grown, um, not just as somebody who's a pastor, but as a believer of Jesus and how you have actually welcomed my family into your family. And, and this church family is our family. And, and if I'm honest with you, as I'm looking across this room, I've, I've known a lot of you over the last year and a half uh, just because we're friends on social media now. And, and so you're, you come up all the time in my feed and Facebook and in Instagram. And, uh, and back in the day when I was on Be Real, which I'm not anymore, sorry, young people, um, it was just taking up a lot of my time. Uh, I just, you know, we have this relationship now. And, and as you all are coming into this place and I'm looking at you, I, I love you. I, I just do. My family loves you. Um, you have accepted us. You have welcomed us into your family. And I'm hoping in the fall, as some of you come out to Oklahoma, that more of you come out and you get to experience uh, my family, my, uh, my home church, which is you're also your home church. I hope you guys follow us on social media, watch our messages, um, be a part of us as much as we're a part of you. And as God is doing something new in this relationship and whatever he's got planned through this, we still haven't quite understood what it is yet, but I believe it's going to be something awesome. And, and I just want to give you a word of encouragement. You all have what it takes to be what I think God is going to use for revival in Scotland. You just have it. Uh, I know we like to use the term revival. I think sometimes that term is used kind of flippantly, you know, like, ah, it's revival, you know. Uh, we want revival, and what does that actually mean? Well, I think, honestly, it is God working through you all to bring new people in, to bring new people into the kingdom. And when you get it, once you get it and understand that you're just as important as 
me a pastor, I'm no different than you all. I've just got a title before my name and I've got an authority or a calling that God has given me specifically. It doesn't make me any better than you. It doesn't make me look down on you. That's part of the reason why I'm, I love this stage better than mine because I'm about you know, five inches off the ground versus 32 inches off the ground where I, where I preach. And so I'm more at your level and I love that. I can see you all, I can see your faces. I'm no better than you. I just said, have a calling that Jesus has given me to be a pastor. And so if, if I have a responsibility to preach the gospel and bring people to Jesus, then, then so do you. You know, Jesus said to make disciples of all nations, right? He's commanded us to do that. He's commanded us to obey his commandments, but also to teach others to do the same. In other words, not to be religious, but to teach people to follow him. And you have that same responsibility. And if you get that and you, you take that into your heart and you realize that the person sitting to your left and right is going through stuff and you're there to help them through it, and if they don't know Jesus, you're there to lead them to him, then, then there's going to be revival that's going to happen here because everybody's on mission, right? Everybody is. And so I, I can tell you for sure, if you're here visiting Home Church Scotland for the very first time, then no pun intended, welcome home. You're here. This is your place. If I lived in Scotland, this is where I'd be. Like, I'm here now, I feel part of your church, but if I lived here, this is where I'd come and make my church home. And it's because of the people. Yes, it's about all about Jesus, amen. We just learned that over the conference. He's the first love, right? He's the one that we're supposed to be focused on, but he also represents himself through the people, through other believers, and that's why we're the ones that are called to be the light and the darkness. And so I feel his presence through you all here. And so I love you. I, I know you guys love us back, and we're very excited uh, to be here. And just to let you know how much invested I am in your church, um, as somebody who is here and, and not just, I believe, part of your church, but investing in your church, is because I'm giving you my daughter. I'm giving you my firstborn. So she's coming here. Um, God has called her here. We know that. And so if you think about her over the next couple of weeks, please be praying because she still has one more step to go uh, before she's approved with her visa to come here for two years. She has to go through an interview with the UK consulate. Um, in Houston, Texas, and that interview is going to be the final step, and so we just want to make sure she has favor. Um, I know she will, and I know that she'll be here very, very soon uh, to be able to help minister to you all. So with that being said, I want to show you just a picture of my family um, as a way to introduce. There. Oh, there you go. So if you go into Pastor Dave's home, you'll see this picture on his wall. Actually, it's up on, against the wall. It's a Christmas card that I sent him. Um, I, I am very proud of my family. Uh, I love them to death. And you guys have already met Pastor Lisa. You've met Pastor Elijah, who spoke yesterday. Um, you know Asia. And then my youngest, Zoe, uh, who is just totally different than the rest of us. Um, she has so much to offer, and, and she's still trying to feel her way through what God is calling her to do. Um, but everybody from, from Zoe over, all of us, we're, we're in ministry in some way or another. And we just feel that call on our family. And so hopefully we'll get Zoe out here sometime soon. Uh, but she's getting ready to go to university here in the next few months, uh, graduate from high school. And it's just been very surreal to see how quickly uh, they have all grown up and how God is using each of them. So I'm very proud of them. And so there is my introduction. Uh, now I want to get into my actual message. I, I want to help you today. That, that's my goal. I, I want to point you, believer and unbeliever alike, to Jesus. And, and I want to help you get through this thing called life. Because it is difficult. 
It is hard. And following Jesus is not easy. Can I get an amen? amen. It's not easy. And when I, when I took on this job as pastor, and I've been in ministry now, it'll be nine years in July, um, but I've only been a pastor of a church for two years. And I remember there was something in particular that I was struggling with. And I was going through something. And I was out uh, jogging one morning. And, and I was just praying. I was just asking, you know, Jesus. I was like, man, why is this so hard? Why, why am I going through this right now? Um, what is it you want me to do? And the two words that he gave me was keep moving. And I'm like, what? Keep moving? Now, what is that supposed to mean? You know, I wanted something more. I wanted like, you know, do this exactly and everything is going to go great, right? Instead, I get this very general phrase, keep moving. And that's the series that I'm currently doing at my church. Um, I just went ahead and challenged my church to stretch their faith. Paul writes in Philippians chapter three, he says, forget what lies behind, strain forward to what lies ahead. And, and as we were leaving 2022 and getting into 2023, my whole mentality was, I don't want to be the same church. I don't want to be the same person I was in 2022 that I'm going to be in 2023. I think the mark of how we are progressing in our sanctification and following Jesus or, or getting more, be more like him because we're learning, we're growing, and we're following him, uh, the, the mark of success from year to year as we're following him is, are we different than we were the year before? And so what I told my church was, you've got to stretch forward. Paul says you've got to do that. You've got to forget what happened the year before. You got to forget your past and what you've been through. Not in the sense that you totally forget it because that's impossible, but the fact that it does not hold you anymore, does not hold you back from what God has for you in the future. And sometimes what that requires is a step of faith. That stretch, and that's what I call it. Paul calls it the strain. I call it the stretch. There is victory in the stretch. There's victory in moving forward and not stopping. There's victory in keep moving and not standing back and waiting for God to do something. You've got to stretch your faith. And what I told my church is in order to do that, you've got to do something different, right? I mean, we all have our routines. We wake up in the morning, hopefully you read your Bible, right? Maybe you go for a walk and you pray to God. You know, maybe you've got this, this, this routine down, right? Go to work, come home, have dinner, watch the telly. That's what you call it, right? The telly. Watch the telly. And then you go to bed and you repeat. And your weekends are the same too. And what God is saying is, you know what? Won't you mix it up a little bit? Won't you do something different that requires faith, that will stretch your faith? And so I gave some examples. Maybe one of those examples is you, you give financially into the church. Maybe you've never done that before. And, and I think that's very important because guess what? Money does talk, unfortunately. We live in a world that money is required for these lights to be on, for you to hear me through the sound system, for you to see the video, for the heat to be on, for the food that you all eat here, because uh, Dave is very generous, giving you coffee and tea and, and cakes and biscuits and, and feeding you dinner and feeding the, the, the public on Saturday nights, the, the dinners that he does for them to reach out to people for Jesus. Um, all of that, this building, it costs money. So the ministry step that I was asking my church to do, and I do this in America as well, is say, listen, if maybe stretching your faith is giving a part of your money into the church so that we can continue to operate and do ministry. That's one step, right? Maybe it's to serve in the church because guess what? This doesn't happen on its own. 
You know, we need people to hold up our arms, literally. We need people to serve God. And maybe, maybe your next step to stretch your faith is to actually serve and volunteer in, in ministry here somewhere in the church. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something individually, personally that you have to do. Maybe you need to get water baptized. Maybe that's something that you've never thought of, that, you know, I need to publicly declare my faith in Jesus. It doesn't save you, but it's a step, right? It's a step that it stretches your faith a little bit because you're standing in water in front of all these people and you're being dunked by Duncan Dave. That's a stretch of faith. That's a stretch of faith. And you gotta do that. There's something you gotta do. I don't know what it is, but I think all of you individually know there's something that you need to do to stretch your faith and to move forward to what lies ahead. God has so much for this church. Oh my goodness. You guys are growing. You're bursting at the seams. You're seeing salvations. We had eight this week here. Can you believe it? Eight people made the decision to follow Jesus for the first time. Yes. In my church, I'd be blessed if I got that in one year. You got it all in one week. The majority of the people in Scotland are unbelievers. They're not following Jesus. Those who identify as Christian is 1% of the population. You guys are a mission field, and you're planted here like a nuclear weapon for God, ready to spread out and not destroy, but to bring life. In America, it's in the 90s where I live. Okay, I live in Oklahoma. I live where the charismatic movement is prevalent. I live in a place where they call it the belt buckle of the Bible belt. The majority of people are believers. And so when we get a salvation, man, let me tell you something. That is like winning the lottery sometimes, okay? It's like, wow, that's incredible. But here it's happening. And there's some of you that are sitting in here that need to be saved. And that's what I want to talk about today. So what I want to do first, if I could turn on my iPad... Oops, oh, come on. What I want to do first is I want to read something. Because here's what I'm learning. The longer that I'm following Jesus, the longer I also recognize that there is a struggle. There is a struggle. Every one of you has a struggle. Every one of you. And if you say you don't, then you're lying. Then maybe you're not really following Jesus if you don't. Because if you're going to stretch your faith and you're going to follow him and you're going to keep moving and keep following him and keep doing what he tells you to do, keep being the church, keep being Jesus to people around you, then there's going to be a struggle. Everybody say with me, the struggle is real. I'm going to read this to you, and I want you to listen to these words. I want you to get these words into your heart. If everybody would just bow their heads and close their eyes. And yes, this is a, this is a Pibus thing, because I know Elijah had you do it yesterday. Um, we like bowing our heads. So bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to listen to this. This person writes this. He said, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more, for I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. 
My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebels, and just then I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions when I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Everybody still keep your head bowed. If those words that I just read resonate with you, if you can understand what this person is saying, if you feel the weight of what this person's saying and you can relate to them, the fact that you want to do good, but you can't, the fact that you want to obey Jesus, but sometimes sin gets the best of you, I want to see your hands. I want to see your hands. Wow. Look at that. Look at that. You guys can put your hands down. That's amazing. You guys can look up. I want to say thank you so much for your transparency on that. Uh, thank you for being real with me on that, because my hand's up as well. There is the struggle. The struggle is real. You want to serve God. You want to follow Jesus. You want to obey what he's told you to do. But see, this is not religion, folks. This is a relationship. Amen? Religion says you can't mess up, because you mess up, you're going to hell. You can't mess up because you mess up, you're not really a follower of Jesus. Relationship says, I'm going to mess up, and I need you to forgive me. And I'm going to turn away from the things that I messed up with, the sin that I've done, and I'm going to move in a different direction. And that's, it is a mindset. Pastor Dave talked about that on Saturday. It's a mindset. Or Friday? Friday? Saturday, both. It is a mindset. But it's also a relationship. And so in relationships, and you can see in your marriage and how many of you are married, all right, we're going to mess up, right? There's no way we can be perfect. There's only one who's perfect, and that's Jesus. And there's a struggle, and that struggle is between your flesh, which you're still walking in, you're still breathing, right? So you got flesh, you got this thing called a dirt suit that one day is going to turn back to dust and then one day be resurrected, praise God. But you're in the flesh still. You still have fleshly desires. Those things are still there. Sin, as Paul says, is nipping closely at me everywhere I turn. And so the person that actually wrote these words that I just read to you is Paul. Paul the Apostle. It's just a different translation. It's called the message translation. But who is Paul? Paul says this, I am the chief of sinners. In other words, I mess up still. He's saying here, I struggle still. I want to do what's good, but I often find myself doing what's bad. This is the guy who Jesus appeared before on the road to Damascus and said, why are you persecuting my church? And Paul got saved. And then he became the apostle that spread the gospel to the point where here we are today, 2,000 years later, having church in Scotland, praise God. This is the guy that Jesus used. But he's admitting to you, I still struggle at times. I still feel the weight of sin. Even though I've been redeemed for it, does not mean that I still don't experience it. I just still don't mess up. I still don't have problems. 
So what he's dealing with is this battle. And I think we all deal with it because if he did, we're going to deal with it too. And it's the struggle between our flesh and the struggle between the new creation that Jesus has created in us. That once we received him, Holy Spirit lives in us, recreates us. We're a new man in Christ, a new creation. We're now going to live with him in heaven for all eternity. But then there's also this flesh that I live in as well. And I still live in this fallen world. And so the enemy's going to come after me. If you think you have a bullseye on you, you do. The devil knows you, knows your weaknesses, knows what you're going through, knows how to attack you, knows everything. He's been doing it for millennia upon millennia, knows human behavior, knows how to get you at your weakest point, knows that when God calls you, it's time to amp up the attacks, knows that if you're going to stretch your faith because the victory is in the stretch, right, and you're going to press forward to what lies ahead, he's going to do everything he can to make you stumble and fall, and he's telling you right now, you need to go sit in the corner and don't come out. It's great that you're saved. It's great that you know Jesus, but man, I'm going to make this struggle so bad that you can just sit in the corner and you're not going to want to come out of that corner and you're going to be obsolete. And Jesus does not want that for you. He wants you to come out of the corner. He wants you to, to get up and start being what he called you to be. And being in the corner and silent is not what he's called you to be. And you're here in Scotland in a place like I just told you is a mission field. And he does not want you to be in the corner. And so the struggle is real. And there is an answer to that struggle. And that's what I want to get into today. And I'm sorry, that was a long introduction. I promise you. I know last time I preached here on a Sunday, I went light. Dave said I was, the longest message ever preached in this church was me. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> so, the struggle is real, but there is an answer. And the answer is this. Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. There is no option kind of be born again, not be born again. You must be born again. The struggle is real. I mean, what you saw there was an outward progression, right? If you're looking at my life and pictures, everything looks kind of great, right? Everything looks good. Growing up, healthy, strong young man, still, still healthy, strong young man. And I get married, got this beautiful wife, Pastor Lisa, gorgeous, drop dead. Yep. I, yeah, I know, I leveled up, right? Isn't that the term? Um, she, she's awesome. My awesome kids. You saw this progression, and it's an outward progression. You can see it. Everything looks great but you don't know what's going on in here, right? See, God does not care about the outward appearance. He cares about the heart. He cares about what's going on in here. And I think we do a great job as believers walking into a church like this with a happy face on and everything looks just peachy keen. In other words, it looks great. But inside, there's a raging battle going on. And we all have it, right? We all have that smile. And it doesn't mean that necessarily everything's bad, I can come in here and be happy and happy to see you all, but still there's things that I'm going through. And that's why I think we need to be honest and transparent with each other. I talked to the men yesterday in our breakout about that. And you know, we tend to hold our emotions in. We don't want to tell anybody because we're afraid what people might think. You know, that's the devil. Amen. Don't say anything because you don't want people to think ill of you. But you have to. You got you to confess your sins one to another. You got to work things out. And you, you, it's okay that if there's something going on, you got to talk to somebody about it. 
But the point being is God does not care about how great you look because that's not going to get you into heaven, okay? What he cares about is, is your inner man, has it been changed? Has Jesus come and made resonance in your heart? Is the Holy Spirit living inside of you as the new creation? That's what matters. And you can't visibly see that per se. But by our actions and how we serve and love one another, people can see that. There is that witness, right? But what Jesus said is, you must be born again. That struggle that I've been talking about is real, but you must be born again. And so where I'm going to be today is in John chapter 3, if you want to turn there. John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to kind of break this down for you. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I think this is a very interesting start to John chapter 3. Here is Nicodemus. He is a Pharisee. In other words, he's a religious person. I love religious people. Jesus does too. Pastor Dave is not religious. Religious, right? I, I, I just I think Nicodemus is somebody who, who earnest, honestly wanted to know who is Jesus. He actually approached him in the dead of night, and some people think that's because he wanted to do it in secret. I think, honestly, that Nicodemus wanted some one-on-one time with God. He just wanted to be able to talk to Jesus and not have anybody in, interfere with that discussion. Um, And so if you know anything about Jesus, anywhere he went, there was a throng of people always around him. He was like a rock star walking around Galilee. Everybody knew the miracles that he did. They wanted to be around him. And so I think Nicodemus just wanted to speak to him one-on-one. And here's the mistake that Nicodemus makes. Nicodemus equated Jesus with him. You're a good teacher. And you do good works. So God must be with you. That's a mistake. No, he is God in the flesh, sitting right before you. He does miracle signs and wonders because he is God, not because he's a good person. Don't try to put Jesus on the same level as us. It will always fail. He is higher than we are. His thoughts, his ways. The Bible says that. But Nicodemus is trying to do that. So the very first thing, if you're taking notes, that I want you to take down, if you want to write something down, is that being a good religious person does not save you. Being a good religious person does not save you. And see, that's why I think when you come here in Home Church Scotland, there's freedom. There's freedom, amen? Like, we're not having this, these moments where we're having you sit down, stand up, say this word, say that word. It's, there's nothing wrong necessarily with those things, but I think they become such repetition and religious and ceremonial that it loses its meaning. I was raised Roman Catholic for 23 years of my life before I got saved. And we said the same things and sat down and stood up the same times every Saturday night. That's when I went to service. And eventually, as my life went on, I didn't even know what I was saying because it was so memorized and so religious that there was no life to it anymore. Religion does not save you. That's the first thing that I want you to know. Continuing in verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again. 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. I love that. When Jesus says truly, truly in the Bible, that means pay attention. Now, it might as well be a neon sign flashing. Pay attention to that. He said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternal life. The kingdom of God are all the blessings of God. The kingdom of God, believe me, is so much better than earth. The kingdom of God is what we can experience when we become born again. In other words, we place our faith in Jesus. We can experience the kingdom of God right now. Matter of fact, I feel like when I'm here and what I felt like over the weekend was actually being in the kingdom of God because God's presence is here. Wherever God is, there's his kingdom. And guess what? Where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is here in the midst of us. We're experiencing his kingdom. So unless you're born again, you could look at what's going on here over the weekend and wonder what are these people doing? But once you become born again, you become a child of God, you become adopted into his family, and you're now in the family of God because you believe in Jesus, you've made him the Lord and Savior of your life. Now all of a sudden, you understand and you can feel his presence. You know he's here. This is the kingdom of God. Verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Wow, this was a big question because being born again, hearing that phrase made no sense to a religious person. Makes no sense. How on earth can I be born and then be shoved back into my mom and be born again? That makes no sense. I almost think there was kind of like a tinge of sarcasm when he asked that question, because <laughs> that does not compute with the human mind. Verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. There's the second time he says that. Again, not just truly, truly should you pay attention, but when Jesus says something twice, you must be born again, you must be born again, that is pretty important. So the second thing that I want you to write down if you're taking notes is you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. So Jesus is talking about what that means, uh, born of water and the spirit. So born in the water, water is what? Water is a cleansing element, right? I mean, hopefully you all, you all take showers. <laughs> water is a cleansing element. So that's representative of being cleansed. And how are we cleansed? We are cleansed through the blood of Jesus. Our sin is washed away. That cleansing is important. But then he says also born of the spirit. See, we're born into this world in the flesh. And we're born into sin, unfortunately, because of the fall of man through Adam and Eve. But when you become born to the Spirit, all of a sudden the flesh takes a back seat. Here comes the Spirit of God to live inside of you. And now you're born of the Spirit. And that's what matters, right? That's that unseen thing. That's not the outward that we see with our naked eyes. It's the unseen thing that's in us, the Holy Spirit, the new creation that's in us now. We are born of the Spirit. There's your being born again. He goes on in verse 8 to try to explain to Nicodemus what it means to be born again. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
So when the Holy Spirit comes and makes residence up in you, when you make that decision to believe and trust in Jesus and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Can you see the Holy Spirit? No. It's like the wind that blows from your left to your right. In Oklahoma's case, it blows pretty strong all the time, okay? From the west to the east. I don't see where it's coming from. I know where it came from, but I don't know where it's coming from. I can't see it, and I don't know where it goes. And that's just like the Holy Spirit. Jesus is using something natural to try to explain to Nicodemus what the Holy Spirit is, who he is, and how he comes to live in, inside of you. And so there's also the wind that's referred to in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter, chapter 37, the prophet Ezekiel talks about how God is going to breathe on the valley of dry bones, that the Holy Spirit's going to be breathed out by God and come over the valley of, of dry, dead bones and brings life into them, and all of a sudden they come up and they're raised up as God's army. That's us, okay? We're the valley of dead people. And when the Holy Spirit comes, when we accept Jesus and blows over us, and all of a sudden he breathes new life into us. And now we can get up and make the decision to follow Jesus and make the decision to actually be part of his army. And that speaks to me because I'm former military. Verse 9. So Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Again, he does not understand. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? In other words, Nicodemus, from the day you were born and old enough to understand the language, you've been studying my word. You've been looking at all the scrolls. You know what Moses said. You know what the prophets said. Everything they said about is me. I'm here. You still don't understand these things. He doesn't, a religious person who does not understand what Jesus is talking about. He said again, Jesus said in verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. This is reference of God being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You do not believe us. You do not believe our testimony. He says in verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No man has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Jesus is using, using God's creation to try to explain to him faith, the wind, the earthly things, right? And Nicodemus is still not understanding so the very third thing that I want you to write down is faith determines whether or not we are born again. It's faith. Let that sink in for a minute. It's not good works. It's not attending church. It's not religious activity. It's not whether my good outweighs my bad. It's not about what I struggle with. It's not about how I look. It's not about whether I'm a pastor or not. It's not about whether I give into the church or not or serve in the church or not. It's all about faith. That should bring freedom to some of you that are in here if you are still an unbeliever. If you think that you got to be somehow perfect for Jesus to receive you, to accept you, because God is not here to condemn any of us right now. We're in this age of grace. Ever since the cross and the resurrection and Jesus ascended into heaven, he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's there. We're in this period of grace right now. So it doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter what you're doing. doesn't matter what's going on in your life or what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're going through. 
God wants to save you. And it doesn't require anything of you other than faith, turning away from your sin and trusting in Jesus, making the decision, I no longer want to follow the path that I'm on, which is death. I now want to follow the path of Jesus, which is life, eternal, God's kingdom. And that's only a decision that you can make. I can't make it for you, and no action that you do other than giving your life to Jesus can make it for you as well. It's all about faith. Faith in who? Jesus explains in verse 14, he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so much the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. This is a reference to Numbers 21. Numbers chapter 21, when Israel sinned against God and God sent serpents into their camp, and if they looked at the serpents, the serpents would bite them and they would kill them. So in order to save them, God told Moses to put a serpent up on a stick and haul it up in the air, and if the, if the people would look at that, then they would be saved. And Jesus is equating that to himself because as we have just learned through the songs that we sang in worship this morning and through the communion service, if you were here, Jesus was lifted up on a cross. He was nailed there for our sins, our iniquity, which is a death sentence, by the way. And if we can look at the cross and look at him and say, you know what, I believe and accept what you have done for me, then all of a sudden now I'm alive and I have eternal life because I believe in him. It's faith in what he has done for us. And that's awesome. It says here, whoever, whoever believes in him, that's everybody who makes the decision to believe in him. That's not religious people. That's everybody and religious people. Verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 16. I want to skip the most important verse in the entire passage. So he goes on to explain, he says, for God, for God so loved the world. Does that equate with what you think about God? Wait a minute, you mean to tell me God loves the world? In other words, God loves me? God loves not just the world, but he loves my world? Yeah, God loves you. He loves the world. He's not sitting up there with his giant beard, with his nice big white robe, looking at everything you do and throwing lightning bolts down at you as you make mistakes in life and as you sin. That's not who God is. God is approachable. He is our Father. He wants you to come to him through Jesus, his Son. That's why he sent Jesus. It's, 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 he is the, the absolute epitome of love. He is love. He is love and he loves you, and he loves your world, he loves the world. That's the God that we serve. And how do we know that? The Bible says here, it continues on in 16, he says that he gave his only son, Jesus. That's Jesus. He gave. He gave his best, not his small amount of, of love. This is great love, no greater love than this, that he lays down his own life for us. This is Jesus. He gave his son for us. That whoever believes, there's that phrase again, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Can you believe that? Yes, you should. Eternal life, which starts right now. The moment I believe in him, I go from death 
to life. And all of a sudden, my life goes beyond this world into heaven, into God's kingdom. And then one day, I not only will get the chance to serve him here in this earth, but I'll be able to serve him in heaven for all eternity. Eternal life. And some of you are like, well, I don't know what that is. Let me put it this way. If you don't believe in Jesus and you're not born again, then you will be separated from God for all eternity. The God of love, all of a sudden now, is going to judge and condemn you one day. So the Bible says at the point of death, you're going to be judged. You will. And if you're not a believer, that judgment results in your destruction. And that destruction is hell. And hell is eternal separation from God. And I believe when you're in hell, you're going to be able to see the party that us believers are going to have in heaven. And you're going to see how God is awesome and how God is awesome and completely, totally love. And you're going to be like, I missed out on that because I didn't believe. I didn't make that decision. Instead, I decided just to go about my life and not care about Jesus. And that is going to be agonizing, gut-wrenching, a flame that will burn for all eternity. And that sounds really bad, and it is. And I don't want to fear you into believing in Jesus, but that's just the reality of what's going to happen. Because Jesus is saying, I came here to save you, not to condemn you. I came here to save you because I want you to have eternal life now and forever. It begins now, and it begins with a decision. Verse 17, Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's awesome, right? Because my vision before I was a believer was God was going to condemn me. He's condemning me. Everything I do, I'm just being scrutinized. And he did not condemn us. He's not sending his son into the world to condemn us. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why we know he is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. That's why we know Buddha ain't it. Muhammad's not it. New ageism is not it. Some crystal's not it. Some aliens are not it. No, it's Jesus. I am narrow-minded. Your Christians are narrow-minded. Yes, I am. Jesus said, I am the way. There is no other way. And he's saying here that the world might be saved through him and only him. He says in 18, again, whoever believes, do you hear that? Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is very definitive. There leaves no wiggle room for the truth. That is the truth, and that is awesome. So the fourth point, if you're taking notes, is that born again means you've been saved by faith in Jesus. The moment you place your faith in him, again, you're born into life and out of death. He says in verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus is the light of the world. When you place your faith in him and become born again, all of a sudden now you have his light in you. 
And that's why Jesus said, don't hide that light. Don't put a basket over it. Take that basket off. But see, the struggle is so real, even as believers, that I think we still have a basket over our light at times. And if you look at a basket, it's woven, right? So you can still see some light. But what Jesus is saying, I understand that you're struggling because I know what it's like. I've walked this earth. I've been on this earth for 33 years. I know exactly what it's like to struggle, although I never sinned. Okay, that's the reason why he's our savior, not only because he's God in the flesh, but because he never sinned. But as I'm watching you, I know what you're going through and you're struggling, but I'm here with you and it's okay. So that basket, you could still see some light, but what he's saying is take that basket off so the light can be clearly seen. Because the world needs to clearly see who he is and he chooses us to reflect that light, that witness to others around us. That light needs to be clearly seen. Being born again means that when God shines his light on you, he sees Jesus. But it also means that because we have Jesus living in us, that light is shining out so that people can clearly see that we belong to the kingdom of God. And what I'm hoping and praying for is that we here in Home Church Scotland, people in Kirk and Tillich, people in Glasgow, the greater Glasgow area, sees that light coming out of you clearly. And see, part of that struggle is not just dealing with your own sin and the things that kind of nip at your heel, as Paul says, as you move forward, but part of that is also persecution. Because it's going to come. And I've been talking to enough youth and young people in this room to know that in their schools they're experiencing that. I actually spoke about it a little bit last time I was here. There is great persecution. And there's a lot here in Scotland And so if that light's going to be clearly shown, you can expect that there's going to be some struggle when you share Jesus with people around you. The struggle is real. Hebrews chapter 12, this is my last passage in closing. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sin clings so closely to us, but we have to run the race with endurance. Thanks for listening to the Home Church Scotland podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, feel free to get in touch with me. My email is dave at homechurch.scot.